Welcome to Hub City Homers, episode 50. That's right, folks. We've made it to 50 episodes of this podcast. We started this during, I believe it was baseball season. And then we, this is our second football season. So we reached episode 50 without too many hiccups along the way. Um, we don't have anything really particular special. This is kind of a workman's podcast day. We're not, there's no crazy guests, no extra long episode, but we do want to say thank you to the guys who stuck with us and the guys who've come along for the ride on the, on the way. We're now up to about 100 listeners on average per episode we hope to double that this season and we really appreciate you guys taking the time out of your days to give us a, give us a, a thought a listen we got a pretty busy show we're going to do pretty much the same format for every football quote-unquote episode um, which will be recapping the previous game and looking forward to the next so in this instance we'll start with a recap of houston and then lead into a kind of a look at NC State with what we know now. We did do a pretty thorough preseason look at NC State. I recommend you guys listen to that. Just skip past the Houston part, which was about the first half of the episode, and take a look at the NC State preview. We're going to dive in a bit more detail now that we have some more game footage on them. But first, there is one other story we want to get to, and it's a good one. Josh Young was called up by the Rangers. That move has been pretty darn successful and i'm gonna let jack kind of talk to it because he was actually at the the opening game for josh young's mlb career so i'm gonna let him talk about kind of the stuff he's seen and a little bit about how josh has done so far yeah um what a crazy (laughs) what a crazy night uh for those that don't know uh happened friday night so i guess that would have been the i don't even know what day i mean it's we're we're recording on the 12th now i guess it would have been the 9th um so uh, it was a crazy night. It was actually OU night at the game, which was really funny. I think I saw maybe two people in OU stuff, but I saw an overwhelming amount of red and black and double T's uh, at this game. Uh, there were so many people in red and black and in tech gear. There were more people that I almost saw in tech gear uh, than in almost the Rangers gear, if, if we're being honest. I mean, everyone's wearing Rangers gear, but the next uh, the next most popular thing that I saw, obviously, was Double T stuff. Um, just It's just an awesome moment to see his whole family there and, uh, you know, his group of uh, people that he decided to bring to the game. Uh, that first at bat, you know, homering in your first at bat is just absolutely nuts. And uh, it couldn't happen to a better guy. Uh, you know, he, he's represented Texas Tech so well. And um, from from what I had heard, uh, why it kind of took a little bit longer was the fact that they wanted to make sure, uh, you know, that he had that he had gotten ready with everything and uh, that his fielding was okay. So they had, they had gotten him in the hitting cage and everything but you know playing third base you know you're gonna dive occasionally to to your glove hand side and uh you know that's the shoulder that he had uh had his problems with had surgery on so uh they wanted to make sure that he had gotten that that non-throwing shoulder nursed up and back to health and once they felt like he was uh healthy enough to play third base at the major league level that's when they gave him a call up um, you know, as we're talking, we're recording this on Monday. Uh, Rangers played a doubleheader, and he's already homered again in the second game of the doubleheader tonight. Uh, that t- it tied the game at one uh, when he did. I believe it might have been in the fifth inning. So um, he's he's got he's had two homers and two doubles already since being called up. Uh, you know, that's it's pretty solid. 
uh, for a rookie in any sense, and you know, through your first five games, especially, that's that's pretty impressive. Um, I, I think that Josh Young really has the ability uh, to be an everyday third baseman for the Rangers uh, for a long time. He's he's a what they call in baseball a 60 grade talent with the ability to get to a 70 grade which 70 grade would be your uh comparisons to like a mike trout or a Shohei otani or a bryce harper or something like that uh juan soto maybe but uh the you know the, the guys that do that for a living and make a lot of money doing it have graded him at uh sort of a 60 area with the potential to get up to 70, which is just good news for all uh, Texas Rangers fans. And uh, it's really a nice jolt to the system for someone who's been a fan of this team. I've been a fan of the Rangers my whole life. And so uh, to have gone to two World Series, you know, in 2010 and 2011 and just absolutely fall off completely afterwards – uh, you know, to have this kind of immediate success for your top prospect and to kind of see uh, the future of the Rangers with, you know, Simeon at second, Seeger at short, and Young at third base, I, I, it's, really, uh, it's really encouraging to the fan who, um, you know, have, have been really treated to nothing but disappointment from that franchise over the last, you know, decade or so. Uh, so it, it's really nice and encouraging to see, and um, it couldn't happen uh, for me, at least, for uh, from anyone other than a Red Raider, which is just it adds just to the just to the awesomeness of the fact. Which I, I put a tweet out, and it got retweeted, and it really was just the coolest situation. And yeah, the Rangers fans were cheering after he homered, but there were a lot of. Uh, tech fans cheering, you, and I could hear a couple Raider powers here and there uh, in the middle of a Major League Baseball game, which is was just really cool to hear, and it just kind of reiterates how uh, how awesome our fan base is. I, you know, I'm not I'm not the kind of guy who watches a ton of MLB baseball, but I remember I was sitting watching Josh Young's. Um, at bats on kind of like the, the stat feed. I was at, I was out to dinner during the game, so I couldn't watch live, which I was kind of mad about, but um, I, I wanted to just keep up with it, see how the bat was going. I remember thinking I got up to, to use the restroom and I was thinking, you know, what would be really cool would be a guy homering in his first at bat. Like that would be neat. That, that would be a neat thing to see. And I closed the app, got back to my, you know, my table and was, was uh, open it back up after, um, I had a, a few more bites of food and was like, let's see what actually happened with that at-bat. And lo and behold, that that's exactly what happened here. So it was a pretty cool um, situation, I think, for everybody involved. You know, it was kind of a storybook for, uh, look, let's be honest here, right? Like it was, the injury was obviously not the biggest deal. He was able to rehab it, but it was what, like a year of baseball he missed out on. And there's no guarantee you come back and perform and ever make it back to the majors. So it, it was it was great to see him be able to kind of shrug that off um, in a way. And I thought it was just, it's cool for everybody involved, for Tech to get to see a guy, especially with Jace coming around the corner. You know, we could have two really high-profile Texas Tech alumni making waves in the majors, which, you know, has not really been a thing. Uh, uh, there have not been a ton and there have been some, but there have not been a ton of super high profile Texas tech baseball players. So it, it, it would be pretty neat to see, um, 
to see it happen with the two brothers in particular leading the way. So we did want to open our show with that. It's just it's just a cool thing to talk about. And I hopefully you guys all got to got an opportunity to watch the replay of it, even if you didn't get to watch it live. It was a really neat moment um, for the fan base and and for the Rangers organization. You know, it, it shows what happens, the excitement that can build when you know you do call up your toss top prospect and give him a shot um people will come out to watch and i I think that that was cool and obviously beneficial to them i'm sure they sold a lot of tickets that night um now we're going to switch to the gridiron like i said we're going to keep our podcast formats mostly the same um obviously there's some sort of special circumstance particularly big win particularly bad loss we'll change it up a little bit but we're going to recap and then preview so we're going to start with the recap of the houston cougars to start, I just want to point out, you are 2-0. and It's been clear from the beginning that reaching the 2-1 and mark was the minimum that Tech needed to accomplish with this extremely tough non-conference schedule. So you're there. So, you know, whatever happens next with NC State, it's a tough game on the road. Do, be, do remember that McGuire checked the first box of his tenure, which was finding a win against two top 25 teams. He's going to get a chance to do it in the road, but let's look what happened at home first. Let's start with the defensive side of the ball. I think that was probably... Not really an argument for most people that that was the best um, side of the ball for Texas Tech this night. Pretty much a perfect game. I, I I did not have a lot of complaints, but Jack, I want to draw attention to the secondary first because we talked about in game one they looked suspect. There were there were question marks all over the secondary. A lot of busted coverages. A lot of guys just getting beat. And this game, one pass was completed deep down the field. Um, he pushed off. For everybody wondering, he pushed off. There was, I don't know what the hell that debate was between the announcers. He shoved him back. Um, he had a step anyways. It wasn't even really that necessary to turn around and shove the guy, but it was offensive pass interference, not call. But that was the one big bust in the secondary. How do you grade the performance? Who's kind of your your player of the game out of that group? So the secondary was a pleasant surprise. Uh, for me, I think I have to go with uh, Rabbit, with uh, Dadrian Taylor Demerson, you know. I felt like every time I was looking up, um, you know, he was he was in on the tackle or uh, he was blowing up a play, you know, forcing a receiver to go out on, outside on a screen when he didn't want to or forcing him back inside on a screen towards the rest of his teammates. Uh, I just really felt like he was in a... Uh, he was just all over the place. I felt like every t- like I said, I felt like every time I looked up on and Tech was on defense, he was around the ball, uh, ball hawk. I think other people who could be, um, you know, on there. I know uh, Marquise Waters had a couple of big stops. Uh, you know, Reggie Pearson had a pick. Um, it, it's just really, it was really nice to see out of a secondary that struggled in game one and uh, to immediately see. Uh, just immediate success, I guess, on the on the rebound. You know, uh, it was an issue. It was fixed, and it wasn't an issue again. It wasn't something that was really, um, you know, taken advantage of by Houston or even an issue at all in the first place in this game. I, I, I was really pleasantly surprised if I could, um, you know, give a great I mean I would I would give a, I would give them an a they were they're really good and um, it was really nice to see um, just things being worked on and tweaked a little bit and uh, I, I just really like what Tim DeRuiter's doing 
there was I don't remember the exact comment we got, but there was somebody talking about you know the the, the what the defensive coordinator did in this game, and I think we saw maybe the biggest difference between um, kind of Keith Patterson's idea and Tim DeRuiter's idea. Keith Patterson was a very conservative defensive coordinator. He was he did not believe much in pressure. Um, he he. Or should I say, he didn't believe much in blitzing to cause pressure. He definitely was more on kind of like the Levy Smith mode, which is it's your defensive line is going to generate pressure. Or it's not going to generate pressure at all. Tech was absolutely atrocious at getting the quarterback last season. Part of the thinking for him was I need to drop more guys in the coverage to help protect my secondary because the linebackers in the defensive line are good enough to control the run game. I don't need to blitz because or I can't blitz because I can't trust that my secondary is not going to get beat over the top. As a result, one, the secondary still didn't cover many people last season. And two, Tech tended to get kind of ticky-tack to death. People had quarterbacks had all day to throw. Coverage couldn't hold up in the face of that. People were comfortable. The offense has gotten to rhythm. And there were some games in which you could definitely see that Tech just could not impact anything on the passing game. And that kind of fed into other problems they had. Um, Tim DeRuiter is kind of the opposite. I watched Tech in obvious passing situations. Tim DeRuiter's kind of mindset was go big or go home. I mean, he brought pressure and brought it in a hurry. His belief is completely opposite, which is, you know what? Fuck it. If our secondary can't cover these guys, then, oh, well, we're going to co-hit the quarterback as hard as we can until he starts missing those throws. And he trusted his guys in the back end to cover enough that when plays broke down and when quarterbacks are under duress, that they don't have easy targets to get to. And that's what the secondary did great, right? Clayton Toon was flushed out of the pocket quite a bit. He was under duress constantly. There was nowhere to go with the ball because you you do your job in the secondary. Hold for two, three seconds. Hope we can get home before then, right? Tech doesn't have this world-beating secondary, but I thought the guys did a fantastic job of not making it easy. They may not have won every round. I saw a couple where Toon had guys open and just couldn't get it done, but they made it as hard as possible on Clayton Toon that your fantastic defensive line and the pressure packages could get home. I personally like that mindset better. To be honest with you, I'd rather get beat over the top occasionally than watch a quarterback sit back there for five seconds and pick us apart. Um, I, I, you know... And that's even before getting the fact, I thought the secondary was much better with their eye discipline. They did a much better job of not just staring into the backfield. Um, I felt like in game one, there was way too much of this. We got to go up and hit somebody kind of mindset and kind of losing track of what was going on behind them. They were in position. The coverage was great. Uh, Like I said, from the start, really that one guy gets beat deep and he shoved off of the receiver. Otherwise, the screens were probably U of H's most effective passing plays. Those caught tech and it's kind of aggression a few times, including that overtime touchdown. Um, but otherwise they were in position and they made it as hard as possible on tune. I don't expect tech to be this absolutely elite defense, but if you want to be a okay to good defense, which is what it looks like we may finally have in Lubbock, this is what you have to do. Make it hard. Way too often it's felt like offenses have come into Lubbock and just had an easy going of it. It's been easy for people to produce yardage. This game, it felt like even when Juvich was driving the ball, it was hard. They were really working hard. Everything was hard. They couldn't get anything going on the ground. Couldn't The secondary was in position so that when Clayton Toon was running out for his dear life, he didn't have anywhere to go with it. The defensive line was making plays. That's what I want to see. Uh, my last point on the defense before we switch to the offensive side of the ball, Jack. Um, this one's kind of an overarching point 
we still Clayton two did not run the ball very much. He didn't scramble very much. How much of this do you attribute to our linebackers being better than was expected? Obviously, when you're trying to control a mobile quarterback, that group is the one that's challenged the most. How much of this was U of H? How much of this was the linebackers? And kind of evaluate the linebackers as a whole from what we've seen so far. That was one of our big question mark areas. I think that a lot of it was probably scheme. Uh, And, you know, it helps. Uh, Krishan Merriweather led the team in tackles in this game. He had eight. Um, I, I think Merriweather had a great game. I think that uh, Kosai Eldridge had a great game. Also, um, you know, you get you get guys all over the place that are contributing. And once you have, I think that's the big that's the big thing, isn't it? You know, we knew Krishan Merriweather was going to be good. We knew that coming in. He's proven it in two seasons at Tech. He that wasn't going to be a question mark. I think for us, it was the question of who would step up and help him. And when you're getting multiple dudes stepping up each week and helping Krishan Merriweather, Kosai Eldridge played great. He had a tackle for a lot. He had a sack. Uh, uh, when you have Bryce Ramirez coming in for, in his first game, Bryce Ramirez uh, came in, had three tackles. Uh, Dimitri Moore, you know, it's guys like that. When you have multiple guys that are stepping up and helping Krishan Merriweather, um, I think that's the key to this Tech defense. Um, yeah, you know, the line's been getting great push. Uh, the guy on the line that I've been most impressed with this season, really, uh, has been Philip Bleedy. Uh, Bleedy's been killing the like kill. It. He had two sacks against Murray State. He had uh, he had two tackles for loss against Houston. Uh, you know, he's been living in the backfield. So when those guys are making an impact up front, and then you have other guys like Kosai Eldridge and Bryce Ramirez and Dimitri Moore and and all those guys uh, stepping up and helping um, Krishan Merriweather, who's kind of the, I guess, the captain of the defense, you could call it, I guess, along with like Marquise Waters uh, at times. Uh, I really think that that's huge. And I think that's what the key for this defense is going to be down the road is – this defense will continue to excel and be decent and good as long as those are those guys like Eldridge uh, and Moore and those guys are stepping up in that second uh, in that second stage, that second uh, layer of protection, you know, uh, or that second uh, level, I guess I should say, of of the defense. You know, if they get past the line, you know, if we have three guys right there that are going to make the tackle, and as long as we have that, I think that this defense uh, could quietly uh, be one of the better ones in the Big Twelve. I really like that point you make about this idea of of helping out the you know your defensive captains. We all know that Creshawn Merriweather was the experienced linebacker and somebody was going to have to play with him. And why I like that so much is you look at the linebacker core and I can't tell who looks inexperienced. They're all balling out. And that's what you want to see from that group, right? Because it would be, there have been years in which, you know, Dakota Allen, for instance, an example of this tech had, 
you know, Dakota Allen, but do you remember the names of the other linebackers from that group? Not necessarily. The best tech linebacker groups was when you had, you know, Jordan Brooks and Dakota Allen, Jordan Brooks and Rico Jeffers, Rico Jeffers and Colin Schooler. It, you need both. It's not good enough to just have one guy. And that that's why, you know, you're if the guy who's the heart and soul of your defense for the front seven is, you know, kind of this Tyree Wilson and, and uh, Keyshawn Merriweather combo, then who's going to step up alongside those guys and be an and player? And the answer, I think, so far is you. It, there isn't necessarily just one guy who's going to do it. Um, they're all going to step up and fill their role. Um, the guy on, you know, I really want to highlight in the linebacker group is Merriweather, though, because... Um, how much pressure it was on him to help lead this young group. And he's really coached his guys up. He's pushed them hard and he's kept, you know, he's done his job so they can do theirs. And as a result, that linebacker group is just, they're really, they're really, they're really thriving. I mean, I think that was coming into the season. We, we, we thought the secondary was going to be better and more experienced. We knew the defensive line was going to be very good. We thought the linebacker group could be a black hole. And in the big 12, that's a big black hole to have. Um, And to see these guys really step up and, and make some pretty, some pretty, I guess, just just big time football plays right like that's really what this is there's they're not necessarily flashing all over the screen with huge plays so that that late sack was was pretty awesome to be honest with you i was pretty hyped when um excuse me when uh, uh kosai drove houston out of out of a field goal range but they're just as a unit they are collectively saying we're going to control the front seven we're not going to let the running backs get behind us i mean let's take a look at real quick at these stats houston rushing attack 88 yards on 29 attempts and most of that yardage comes from brandon campbell pretty late in the game in which there was definitely some um fatigue at play and that's you know when you're talking about um when you're talking about defenses, they wear out a bit late. Early on in the game, I mean, they went quite a while without really being able to move the ball forward. And here's a, thing, a stat I really like because I think that Tech does, in fact, take a really personal um, uh, position on this. Tazon Henry, three carries for two yards. Tazon Henry receiving was a bit better, three for 32. But Tech seems to just take a lot of pleasure out of making that kid miserable. I mean, that like screen that he got going, it looked like it was going to be a big play. They strip him from behind. So just, I, I was extremely impressed with what the linebackers did. The defensive line was stout as we all expected. That's what we thought we were going to get. But if you're getting these other units coming along with them, this could be a really exciting defense in Lubbock. And we're going to find out next week against a very good quarterback and a good and NC State offense, kind of what we're seeing um, from the secondary some more and how the linebacker court continues to develop. And can the defensive line continue to impact the game against worse, against better offensive lines, excuse me, Houston's being particularly not good. Um, so, Jack, we're going to switch now to the offensive side. Not as pretty. Offensive line was, I guess, the only word that comes to mind. Poor. Um, what? 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 Do you, what needs to be done to help these guys out? Because you you have what you have. Hopefully, they'll get better week to week. But what? How do you approach an offensive line like this that's just struggling? It's hard to. It's hard to really grasp like what you can change. I mean, you can trot different guys out there, but. We've been we've been told this whole off season and you know even through the first two games that this coaching staff is going to put their best five guys out on that line. Um, so you're really thinking that 
your best five guys are out there. Um, well, I mean, I'm not going to harp on it too much, but um, our best five guys allowed six, six tackles for loss. Uh, five of them were sacks on Donovan Smith. Uh, granted, some of them could have probably been attributed to him holding on to the ball too long, but others, there were times when you know, they were on him in three seconds. And that's not time. That's not enough time for any plays to develop. So I just really think you got to reinvigorate your guys up front, and and you know it's easier said than done. Um, I think honestly, something that I would if if I was a coach, you know, I, you got to kind of you know light the fire under him again. I I mean, how do you do that other than you know maybe coming into practice on Monday, being like, if you were a starter last week, your spot is open. You got to earn it back, and you know maybe that lights a fire under their ass. I don't know if it would. Um, that's just an idea. I just really think that um, in some of these, some of these areas. I mean, it was really apparent at times that uh, there just needs to be more experience with the line, and and I think it showed overwhelmingly at times. I think uh, I think times it seemed a little worse than it actually was. Um, there are definitely some really bad, uh, you know, examples, but also um, I'm not going to take away from the fact that uh, Parrish, uh, number zero on Houston, is a, is a baller. That that kid is uh, that kid's a real deal, and I mean, you know, there are going to be times when you're going up against him and you do your absolute best, and he's just still going to run past you, and that's just something that you know you live and die with, and you have to be okay with. But uh, I, I I just think that. Uh, there's definitely uh, room for improvement, I would say. Yeah, I mean, you talk about lighting a fire under these guys. I, 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 you know, this is a thing you hear occasionally from a lot from like high school coaches, actually, because it's, once you get to the D1 level, you kind of weeded out a lot of the guys who don't care. Um, you know, you can't get to this far without working hard. But there is this thing about taking pride in, in what's going on around you. Now, I, I don't want to imply that these guys aren't. The effort's there. But you got it when when the ability's not necessarily there, which it kind of looks like it may not be. You know, these guys aren't just aren't great and, and uh, at pass protection right now. Maybe they'll get better, but until then, you're gonna have to make up for the difference with that next level of effort. And the coaches are just gonna have to drill that into them. And again, I want to be clear here: these guys are given everything they got. I'm not worried about the effort, but they're just getting like Derek Parrish just knocked people around. I mean, like they, they the technique was sloppy. Um, they were they weren't standing up well. Um, guys were getting around them. They were worried too much about like inside rush and giving up a lot of guys just just straight up looping around the outside um alternatively that did allow smith to kind of roll out so maybe that's what you have to do here but i think that the only thing you can do at this point besides try to scheme it you have to do kind of what tech did in that first drive a lot of really really quick passes a lot of cut cut blocking things of that nature try to slow down the pass rush um, unfortunately, the answer here is you need a more advanced screen package. Um, tech fans won't like that, won't like to see it. But the screen package that we saw was not great um, in that game. It didn't look very developed or flushed out. So that's obviously something that they weren't really planning to use a ton of, and they're going to have to build out more. But it's just you're going to have to convince these guys, like, I know this you're giving 100%, but we need 110 if we're going to have a chance out here. And can you get to that next level? I think they can, right? I, have, I think Tech has the coaches in place to motivate these guys to a higher level performance. And that's really what you got to do, because I, I don't think Kitley's going to be willing to change his offense enough to cover for him. Um, we're going to get to that 
in a minute, but um, you just, you, you, you're an air raid team. If you can't pass block, that's going to limit what you can do in the air raid. And you're going to have to adjust some, but really it, I think we're going to live and die with the, um, with the air raid. So just, um, you know, adjust accordingly, coach them up accordingly. And that, that we'll see what happens and whether or not they can find that extra gear to try to, you know, kind of grit this out and just, hold out a little bit longer, give Donovan Smith a little bit more time. Later in the game, as U of H kind of wore down a little bit, the protection did get better, but early on in particular, it was pretty poor. And this is also, full disclosure, Donovan Smith took a couple of sacks he didn't have to take. Ball should have been out of his hand in a couple of routes, so it's not all on the offensive line. You do have an inexperienced quarterback who's still learning the position, who took a hit he shouldn't have in a few situations. Um, it didn't work the pocket as well as he should have in others, where he should have stepped up instead of backing up. So that's stuff Kitley can work on to help these guys out, to protect them from their quarterback making these mistakes so that they can really focus on the stuff that they need to focus on, which is protecting just how to how to stand up against the bull rush, working on technique, coaching up the effort to that next gear. Uh, um, you know, it, which if you're listening to both of us and you're wondering, that doesn't sound particularly great. That sounds like a lot of pie in the sky idea. Kind of is. Um, you know, you can't you can't make up for the fact that these guys are what they are. Um, you know, we knew from the start that these weren't necessarily going to be the best pass blockers we had at Texas Tech, and we knew that you know we were going to kind of get what we were going to get with them. So we're just going to have to hope that they continue to get better game over game. A lot of guys have a lot of an experience, a lot of guys who haven't played at this level that long. And we're going to hope, especially if Wright is hurt, you're really, really thin at that position. So we're hoping his injury is temporary and he comes back very soon. Um, I do want to talk about the Kitley play calling. It, it, by now, everybody's aware that I got lit up a bit. And obviously, I overreacted because the game hadn't ended yet. And besides that, you should never blame one guy for loss. That was a mistake. Uh, it, losses are basically earned together. And if you're going to blame any one person, losses fall on the feet of the head coach, almost never on their offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator. That's who the buck stops with at the top. But I didn't like Kitley's play calling in this game. I, I People may not like to hear that now, but I was not particularly happy with parts of it. I thought it was, quite frankly, a bit boring. Um, you had a quarterback that has some kind of exciting weapons, and we seem to only want to use them as... QB power. And then there were weird situations in which, you know, we're deciding to start trying to attack vertically with a minute left in the game backed up on your 10 yard line when you're just trying to hang on and get to overtime. Um, Jack, am I crazy here? What was your assessment of this offense and the play calling around it? I thought the, um, you know, the word, the word that I used was a little bit conservative at times. It felt like it kind of left some to be desired uh, at times. I really think that the trust is just isn't fully there just yet. I think that you know things might not be moving as slowly for Donovan as they are for Tyler, which is to be expected. Tyler's a three, four year starter at the position at a power five level. Uh, I mean, in Donovan's defense, he's never been a starter. Um, Yes, he's started games, but he's never won a starting position outright coming out of camp, is what I mean by that. Um, but I think that with time, the game will only the it will only slow down for Donovan. I really do. Um, but it's apparent to me that there are uh, there were certain situations, um, and yeah, you know, looking back on it now, it's hindsight's always twenty twenty, right? It's easy for us to sit back and you know. Uh, 
kind of pick apart what certain plays were called and why in this certain situation. Um, one of them for me was the we're text driving and moving the ball fairly well, and then all of a sudden we try like a double reverse screen or something like that, and it kind of just fell out of place and almost forced. Um, it, it almost felt like we hadn't ran anything yet, any like trick stuff yet. And so, oh, here's one, like, we're going to throw it in there just to get it in. Uh, I felt like it kind of screwed up the rhythm of that drive. I, I can't remember off the top of my head if we ended up scoring on that drive or not. Um, but it was just kind of weird placement of that. Uh, I, I do, I hate the play. I, I wasn't a big fan of it. I think it was, for me, it was more of a, uh, the situation or the, uh, the, at the time and place in the game that it was called. You know, if, if if you're doing that in the first quarter, maybe, uh, where you still have time to kind of, or if you're up big or something and you want to do that, I mean, uh, that's cool. Um, but I just think that at the time it kind of was weird. It didn't really mesh with any of the other play calling. Um, I also think that a lot of the time, um, you know, I, I don't like to be, like, super critical of one person or anything. I, I just felt like... Um, there were times when uh, when the first read wasn't there, I think Donovan immediately was trying to run. And I think that's what, to me at least, that's where I saw the kind of, uh, you know, possible QB power situation where it wasn't really a designed run, but I think he looked at two guys in a five-receiver set, saw the first two guys weren't open, and immediately was trying to take off. And that's when... Uh, you know, like like you said, you know, there are times when if you let those guys, if you let those ends come around you and kind of force them, and, and if you have a good uh, interior line, I mean, you can step up in that pocket and really get into your third or fourth reads. Um, and, you know, if you get through four guys in a five-receiver read and four of them aren't open, I could be willing to bet that the fifth guy is probably not going to be open either. So uh, if you want to take off after that, then that's one thing. I'm cool with that. Um, but it just seemed like a couple of times it was just really quick to just default to the to the legs and the run. Um, granted, that'll change and it'll get better as the game slows down for him. But if I had to pick something that really just kind of was a little uh, iffy at times, it, it would be that for me. Yeah, I guess how I would describe it is it, it, I would say it was boring, and I would also say there was just poor situational awareness. Um, why I say it's boring, obviously you're dealing with limitations, right? I don't want to pretend that like all this is falling on Kitley, right? If I'm grading him out, it's a C average. It's not like it, like the Iowa offensive, uh, offensive coordinator, right? Like it's, we haven't reached that level. We're nowhere near it. Um, why I was particularly disappointed by it is because I think at the game, first game, he was so good at dialing up the perfect play for the situation and he took chances. It felt like way too often in this game, he either didn't want to take a chance and then he would just decide like, oh, well, we really need a first down here. Ah, eh, fuck it. Let's go long. Right. And I don't know. And 100 full disclosure, none of us know what Donovan's audibly at the line and what he's reading. We're all, I can only assume that Zach Kitley was not actually opening up the entire offense to his backup quarterback. That's a thing offensive coordinators say. It's almost never true, guys. I don't know how many people try to tell me, well, what about Donovan audibly? Guys, he's not changing the plays that often. No backup quarterback is going out there and overruling his offensive coordinator with any regularity. Four games down the line, if he's locked up the job, 
maybe, but that that's just not really a thing. But we don't know how much of this he was on Donovan and his reads. Um, you talked a lot about something I wanted to get to in a minute with Donovan's performance before we switched to NC State, but you know, we don't know when he was deciding to take off versus called QB draws. We don't know that pick six. Was that a called read, which it looked like it was, or was he just staring down one receiver because he thought it was going to be there? He misread the coverage. Uh, but I do think you mentioned the trick play. That was bizarre and it killed the drive. It really killed your forward momentum. I talked about the, the tweet that got me into trouble was about that last sequence before overtime that damn near cost tech the game. Um, that was a really unfortunate decision. And again, if Donovan elected to go long, then that's different. But I think what happened is Kitley was thinking, if I throw this up deep and it gets picked off, oh, well, it's an arm punt. McNamara probably could have maybe gotten us another 10 yards on it, but maybe not. We don't want something getting blocked out of the back of the end zone. I think that's what the thought process was. But what I don't understand, the thing that frustrated me the most was situationally, where did Brooks go in some of these moments? You know, like I said, right? Like we, we just, it seemed like we were just using the playbook just sporadically, right? Like we would do something cool. Like they would try to attack vertically or they run these cool crossing patterns. And then we would run QB draw twice in a row instead of handing it off to your back who was stumbling forward for four or five yards to carry late in that game. I mean, Brooks got hot in that game and he just disappeared. For instance, we got backed up fourth and 20 because we tried to throw twice and not give the ball to the guy who was doing everything for us at that stage. So I, it was inconsistent. It was wasn't great, but it's easy to fix, right? We now know, we now have film on what the offensive line can do. We now have film on what Donovan's going to do. You adjust, you adapt. I, I'm not worried about Kitley. I thought that this was not his brightest moment, but he's a young OC and he'll get better. Uh, did I overreact at the time? Absolutely. And that's why I apologize to him. Um, and we, we, if you guys have pay attention on Twitter, I got lit up and that's fine. Um, that, that happens. So that, that was well-deserved, but I, I, I will stand by the premise. It was not his best game. And if, if you think otherwise, that's great. Um, we, we can, we can debate how much the offensive line impacted this. We can debate Donovan impacting this. I didn't love the play calling. I thought we were all over the board. I thought we were inconsistent. I thought we were stuck somewhere between you mentioned conservative. I, we were just, there was, it didn't feel like the same offense. And part of that is probably feeling out what your quarterback could do. Hopefully next week we see a lot more of Donovan attacking the edge, a lot less just straight QB power, a lot more developed, um, intermediate passing game to get the ball out a bit faster, um, a lot more short passes. And like I said, tech fans may not love it, but a lot more screens. Um, you just got to continue to develop your packages with the personnel you got. So they'll keep getting better. Um, you weren't tested in week one. You were in week two. Other bright side, that's probably the best defensive line you're going to play. Um, you're going to play some good pass rushers. That U of H defensive line is about as disruptive as any. So hopefully as we go and you play against less totally dominant defensive lines, things improve. Which switch gears now, Jack, and head over to the NC State side of things. Um, NC State's an interesting opponent. They're highly hyped this season. They stumbled out of the gate, and I don't think this is going to shock anybody. I think they should have lost that first game. Um, they then dominated Charleston Southern, no supply surprise. But let's look at what is kind of shocking about this NC State team first. What are you most surprised about about the Wolfpack that we kind of weren't expecting with them? Uh, to me, I think... The fact that they really, it, offensively to me, they kind of seem like they're all over the place, you know? I, I feel like in the first game against East Carolina, they really didn't establish the pass very well. Um, and so, and they, let's be honest about that East Carolina game. They lucked into it. Seven of their points were from a pick six. And after uh, East Carolina scored, 
to make it 21-20. They fall start on the extra point. Then they get a holding on the second try of the extra point, and so they're backed up big time from a hash, and uh, the on the third time they're kicking the extra point, I think, the uh, kicker just yanks it. So, I mean, you're, you're talking about, uh, really, they shouldn't have won the first game. Um, I think that, like I said, they're kind of all over the place. They really, in my opinion at least, looking at watching the games and looking at their, at their play breakdown, um, it just kind of seemed like they're, they're really calling, their, their offensive coordinator is really calling plays based on what's going on in the moment. Um, you know, you always hear about coaches that had those first 10 plays scripted. I really don't think this guy does. Or if he does, he's got 10 plays that he has set aside and doesn't script them in any particular order. Uh, because there are times where there's a three and out against East Carolina where they ran the ball three times, didn't pass it. And then the next time they get the ball, they tried to throw it three times and went three and out. Like it's just, And then it's like two runs and a pass. And then it's like, oh, well, we only passed it uh, you know, 15 times in the first half. So the first two punts or their first two series in the second half, uh, you know, are three are two three and outs, but there's six pass attempts. So they don't even give the ball to the running back. Um, it just kind of seems like spur of the moment all over the place. And I guess to, to an extent that's what play calling is, right? But I just feel like this is very – they try to go up-tempo at times, but then other times they try and slow it down. And sometimes, like in watching it, they'll go no huddle – and, and get going, and then on the same drive, they'll milk the play clock all the way down to, like, two seconds. Like, they're just, it just seems very, um, just kind of really just all over the place, and it's just really weird to me that there's not, like, a set, like, oh, you know, we're going to go up-tempo consistently, we have these plays, we're a pass team first, but our running backs are good, so we're going to use those two. It just kind of seems like it's all over the place and whatever is working at the time. And yeah, like I said, that's probably what a lot of play calling is, right? But at the same time, it just hasn't, to me, it doesn't seem like they've really established either side of the ball particularly, or either uh, rush or pass game really well. Yeah, I, I, I think that you're pretty much on the money here. I, I don't understand some of the play calling NC State's trying to do. Uh, I think they should build around the identity that they. Sh- I, I thought we all we were all pretty sure they were going to do, which is let Leary throw it around, right? He's he's a top flight quarterback. If it wasn't for Kenny Pickett last year, we talked about this in the preview. He probably would have been on everybody's radar. He wasn't because Pickett stole all the, kind of sucked the life out of the ACC's you know quarterback atmosphere. But he he's an above average quarterback. To you know he's. I mean, we'll see how he kind of progresses this year. He's arguably a top 10 quarterback in college football right now. So why why are you trying to force feed, you know, kind of a rushing attack in weird moments, especially against a team like ECU, where I think that, you know, if, if we look at some of what um, NC State's done this year and some of how they've handled, you know, the opponents they faced, um, 
I think when you look at the ECU game in particular, you definitely get this um, the sense that they kind of left stuff out there, right? You know, uh, um, they didn't protect very well. They didn't run the ball particularly effectively. Um, you know, and and when they were running the ball effectively, they immediately went away from it. And when they were throwing effectively, they immediately went away from it. So there's, I talked about Kitley's inconsistent. NC State doesn't have an identity right now. They're they've got a good quarterback. They got a decent rushing game. They got to pick what they want to do, or they've got to commit to true balance. Don't just run to achieve balance. Don't just throw in situations to achieve balance. Um, my biggest shocker, though, the thing that I'm most surprised about is just how poorly they played in that second half of the ECU game. They were pretty good in the first half, folks. They were they were firmly in control of this game. It was 21 to nothing, and they just came out completely flat in the second half. That's surprising to me. You got a veteran quarterback. You got a top 15 potential team here. You would expect them to come out and separate from an inferior competition. They didn't. And they they were quite frankly fortunate that ECU's kicker had a had a terrible day, unfortunate for that young man, and just really let them sneak out the back door. ECU adjusted to what NC State was doing, and NC State had no answers. That's what shocked me. I would expect better offensive play from a veteran team in that second half. At least get a few points on the board, maybe a field goal or two. I, I a shutout like that really leaped out at me because you know you guys remember the Houston game last year when Tech just shut them out in the second half. It's it's difficult to accomplish that. It's difficult to hold an offense off the board for an entire half of football. So to, for ECU to do that, who I'm not going to say they're bad. They're a decent program, but they're not the top of the AAC. Um, that that makes me wonder about NC State. I don't have enough data yet to say what we don't, what we're all kind of starting to think maybe, which is, is this team worthy of the hype? We're going to find out a lot of that this weekend. But that's what shocked me the most was you had a half of football in which a top 15 team could not score against a middle tier group of five team. I mean, that's like A&M App State level incompetency. Um, yeah, let's, that I mean, let's talk about their, I mean, you you do the rundown for their uh for their possessions in the second half, they go punt, fumble, downs, interception, punt, end of game. Those are their second half possessions against East Carolina. Yeah, and well, here's the thing there, right? Fumble, interception. Fumble, interception. That's where Joey McGuire wants Tech to live, is forcing turnovers. you got to protect the ball, and you'd expect a veteran team to do it. You'd expect a team that's got true fit, top 15 potential to do it. Um, for instance, right, like we're looking at A&M, right? Like they, couldn't, they were absolutely horrible against App State. This performance in that second half was on par with that and against a worse team. I think App State's a pretty good little football program. I think they're a top five, 25 team who had a bad day defensively against, against North Carolina and still should have won that game. Um, so, you know, I'm not saying bust yet. It was game one. Game two, they played a nobody. Of course, they dominated. But there is reason to be worried if I'm an App State fan. And that half is where I'm circling. If I'm tech, I'm watching how ECU impacted the game. When I watched it, it looked like what worked was pressure. It looked like getting home, getting to Devin, giving, getting to Leary really hurt NC State. So, you know, I'm kind of licking my chops a bit at that film. Uh, we'll find out whether or not Tech can take advantage of it the same way. Let's flip to the NC State defense. They've been better defensively, uh, holding East Carolina to 20 points, four points off the board for bad kicking. But they've been, they were really, they were pretty good in this game. They forced a lot of turnovers, which helped. They, but they controlled the ground game, only allowed 4.3 yards to carry in that game. Um, 
uh, Holton Allers was not. I wasn't impressed by him from East Carolina. He was 25 for 41 for 267, two, D, two TDs, two interceptions. But the here's the thing to watch. The average passing depth was 6.5 yards, which means they really weren't letting anybody get behind them. Jack, we now have gotten a look at Tech's offense. How, how are you seeing them match up with what NC State's doing defensively? Well, you know, I this is this is the part where I'm kind of uh, I'm almost I'm, I'm a little concerned. Uh, we just talked about how for Tech to succeed coming up, you know, we need those quick plays. Well, to me, with with all this data, you know, it, it almost looks like if you can get deep on North Carolina State, then you can you can make some you can wreak some havoc, cause some problems for them. Well. What can the line do? My my huge thing this week is going to be, is Weston Wright going to play? Um, if Weston Wright plays, then we could start thinking about maybe um, taking some shots down the field. Um, but I think to get into a rhythm, to get Donovan Smith into a good rhythm, I think we got to start fast and quick. Quick and fast. You know, uh, quick throws or get the ball out fast, quick throws, five-yard routes, six-yard routes. Um, you know, just get the connection, get the catches there, and then, uh, you know, kind of open it up from there, get going deep and stuff. I, I, the thing, and and we touched on it, um, to me, it's the it's Donovan Smith's blind side that was really exposed. And and the thing that sucks about that is those were your, those are your most experienced guys. Uh, you know, that's Rodgers and Weston Wright over there, and they're getting just – I mean, they're getting fed to the dogs almost. You know, they're getting manhandled over there. Those are supposed to be your two most experienced guys. So I think that um, this game coming up will tell us a lot about both teams. Uh, it'll it'll tell us, you know, is NC State for real? Is the hype worth it? Um, or are they are they worth the hype? I guess. And uh, what can you expect from this offense? I think that. The line will be a key. I I think that the way that you choose to utilize Taj Brooks and Sir Roderick Thompson in this game is going to be big too. Um, yeah, you know you can see that they control the line in certain spots, uh, and you know even against East Carolina, you know what did they have rushing? They had only had 116 yards rushing, but they only attempted 27 rushes. So your average was 4.3 yards a carry. Uh, I mean, I think I want to. You would like to hope that Tech could do better than that. Um, you would like to think that your top two rushers on your roster and your top two running backs are better than what they have at Eastern Carolina. Um, but I, I think that's going to be a huge thing too. You know, like we we kind of touched on it. Um, it's almost as though North Carolina State and Tech are kind of almost having somewhat of the same issues on offense in the in the last in Tech's game against Houston and uh, North Carolina State against East Carolina. You know, it's kind of a point where you're kind of getting into the ebbs and flows. Um, Taj Brooks was running really well, like you mentioned, falling forward for an extra five yards, um, and, and then you run three pass plays and you, and you're, you're forced to punt, or and it's just and it's just the ebbs and flows and stuff like that and. So I really think how um, Zach Hilly really chooses to utilize Taj Brooks and Stroudert Thompson will be um, will be a big will be a big key in this game. Yeah, and this is where I think Kitley can really show off because 
you know, I felt like he was not had his best last game. This is an opportunity to really show you learned your lesson and really call a great game. He has an opportunity here to really show off because you look, we know the offensive line's not necessarily going to take this heroic step forward. We know Donovan Smith kind of is what he is. He'll continue to develop and get better, but he is more limited than Shuck from a passing perspective, at least from what we've seen so far. This is where you can really show that, okay, I, 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 I get it. Right, like we need to we need to put Taj Brooks in position to make plays. Uh, we need to give Thompson his touches. We need to find a way to build out our packages for you know running the quarterback to the edge as opposed to right at the middle. We need to build out our screen packages and our short packages and our intermediate routes. We need to figure out when to go for deep shots as opposed to trying to force a deep shot down the field. Can Don't we please off- get the tight ends in like going in this offense? We've heard all offseason how good our tight end room is, and it we haven't seen it. Yeah, it, it's – and here's – look, like the tight end thing is kind of frustrating because you went out and got one. That's what I really don't understand. Mason Tharp was a good tight end, but you're like, look, we need a little bit more experience. A guy who's you know been around top-level programs, been banged up. but So we went out and got Cooper uh, – a Baylor Cup. Um, and uh, it, I, I don't understand why we can't – like we, we clearly are going to make that a priority. And there just isn't any sense from at least I've seen so far that we're going to try to do anything different than what Cumby did with them, which is, yeah, we'll throw them a, a route in the middle a little bit. But you know what's great for a quarterback under duress with a lot of pressure in his face as he's learning the game? A 6'10 tight end standing in the middle of the field. Guys, if he puts that ball anywhere near Mason Tharp, Mason Tharp has the best opportunity to come down with it. I, I don't really understand, you know, this this uh, uh, this kind of reluctance to get them into the game. I, I really don't. And I hope that in the second game, we're going to see more of them. Then again, this is where Kitley can really make his money, right? This is where he can really make some money and really do some special things as an offensive coordinator is okay. I I got a little bit of a limited deck here. Let's make the most of it. This is where he justifies his salary. This is where he shows why, you know, all that broadcast they're talking about this wonder kit. He's a great offensive coordinator. This is how he sets himself apart from a lot of other great offensive coordinators in college football is when you don't have everything at your disposable the way you like how do you scheme around it you got the film now make it happen um i th- this matchup's going to determine a lot of the game you know if, if you do what you did against u of h and spend entire sections of the game just spinning your wheels you will get beat here you cannot afford to do that you can't put it all on your defense to be perfect like you did against houston more or less you know you need to see more of what we saw in that first half you don't have to score every drive you're not going to score every drive but you need to be able to go for drives, call the game to get them. And I think he can do it. I'm pretty confident in Zach Kittley having a much better game. So I'm excited to see what he does. And like like Jack just said, if if we don't see at least one tight end touchdown, then we wasted, you know, an offseason going after these guys. We need to see it. We we need to see some we need to see some tight end involvement. We need to see we need to see it in a big way. Honestly, I I, I watch how like Andy Reid uses Travis Kelsey. Wait, wait, let's do a little bit of that crap, right? Like, let's just find creative ways to m- create matchups with those guys. So hopefully we see more of it. Um, we're running a little bit low on time, but I do want to talk about, um, excuse me, kind of overall your sense for this game. Normally we do like a straight prediction, but since it's just the two of us, we'll expand on that a little bit. 
instead of just giving, you know, who's going to win in the score, just give me your sense for this game. How confident are you that tech is going to be competitive? Um, you know, how, how do you think that this, the, how are tech going to fare at the spread right now? Is it about, depending where you're looking, it sits about 10 to 11 points. Um, do you think tech can cover? What, what, what's, what's kind of build on our normal prediction? How are you feeling, Jack? So I really think in this game, like I mentioned, it's it's going to be how well the offensive line can hold up, how you utilize your running backs and tight ends in this. Um, you, to me, this is I felt I feel a lot better than I did at the beginning of the year. Um, NC State was very questionable against East Carolina. Granted, that was on the road. Uh, you know, they've won 11 straight at home or whatever it is. Um, but I, I definitely feel a lot better than I did, um, especially after last week. And and I really wanted to touch on this for a bit, uh, and I'll make it quick since we're running low on time. But uh, I really can't overstate um, how big that win was on Saturday for this program. Um these and again, I people are getting butt hurt on Twitter and not at us, but other people for saying for mentioning past coaching staffs. Um, but I'll say it again: uh, under other under past coaching staffs, um, these are games that you lose uh, ten times out of ten. I'm confident in saying that you probably don't even make it to overtime um, in in previous uh, coaching staffs. And um, this is a game that. Uh, at times it almost felt like you were trying to throw away, um, but you still found a way to win it against a top 25 team uh, nonetheless. So um, I feel like it's really big for the program, and it's a really big uh, nod to the culture change, uh, the brand, if you will. You know, um, If you lose this game, um, this past Saturday, you know, I, you have the argument that you know nothing's changed. It's all the same. We're still losing these games um, that Matt Wells lost. We're still losing these games that Cliff Kingsbury lost. Um, you know, granted, this is year one and it's only the second game, but there are people that, that would be out there saying, you know, like nothing's changed. Um, we're still getting beat deep. We're still getting uh, exposed on offense on certain areas, but. Uh, with this win, it's just the game. That's what I feel like has been so wrong for Tech, at least recently. Is there are games that you've been in, um, a lot of games that you've been in that you've lost in close games. Um, I think that's why it was a big sigh of relief when we when Gare Bay kicked that sixty-two yarder last year against Iowa State because those had been games for so long that we had lost. Uh, and and yeah, granted that was after. Uh, the coaching change and Sonny Cumbie was coming in, and I, I don't want to underestimate Sonny Cumbie's involvement in the change of the culture either. You know, he's the one that jump started everything uh, with the pump jack mentality. You know, and and that's and that's so huge that a guy can still do that for his university and um, his alma mater, even and, and then leave. Granted, and for a better coaching opportunity, but um, I just I just think that that game on Saturday was such a huge nod to um, the way this is trending and the way this program is going forward. And um, I, it makes me feel a lot better about games down the road where maybe, you know, you're in a, you're in a knockdown drag out with a team that you probably might not have been picked to beat at home possibly. Uh, 
you know, and, and you're just grit, you're gritty, you won't go away. And if you find ways to win those games, I mean, the, these are the, these are the games that, uh, you know, take your team from a five and seven, six and six team to, you know, a, an eight and four team at times, you know, so that those are the wins that really make or break seasons. Um, and I think this was, this one against Houston was the first of many to come uh, in a positive change. Uh, I guess I guess I better I, I guess I better uh, you know expand. I I I do think Tech drops this one uh, in Raleigh. I, I think that uh, on the road, the top twenty-five team. Uh, I do think NC State is not as good as advertised. Uh, so I think it's going to be closer than people think. Um, but for me, it's just there's there's too much unknown about Tech right now. We don't know about Weston Wright if he's going to play. Um, we just we just really don't know, and so for me that's that's enough to uh, to I think like I said I think our, your defense is going to keep you in it, uh, but I just don't think our offense can capitalize on enough if if uh, if the line plays like they did against Houston. Yeah, I tweeted this out during the game as like you know you were trying to do something special. Was the difference between a a coach like you know, Matt Wells, Cliff Kingsbury, Joey McGuire isn't decided by, you know, the level of hype in a program. You guys don't may or may not remember this because it died kind of fast, but Kingsbury came in as one of the most hyped hires in tech history. There was a tremendous amount of excitement and it quickly after he loses those, you know, what was it? Five games in a row to close out. Uh, So I was, that was my, one of my first football seasons. It was my second football season. Um, Started seven and zero. We were number thirteen in the country, and proceeded to lose the final six. Yeah, and that's that's just like that's kind of how things went under Kingsbury. Is you just couldn't ever string together the big wins. He had a one or two beating Texas and Austin. Being one, which was a, was an extremely great game. Doing it again was an extremely big game. Um, great win. But then you get to Matt Wells, and now we're going from like one or two big wins to none. Wells never won the big game. And again, you know, there wasn't as much excitement around him, but we all kind of had expectations when he got there, right? Like we all kind of thought he's going to install some discipline. There's going to be some of this stuff. And, you know, Joey McGuire comes in with a ton of excitement, a ton of energy, but a lot of uncertainty. So what does he do immediately to differentiate himself from the past? He wins in Lubbock in the big game. I do not remember the last big game that was won in Lubbock. I mean, there, there have not been many truly big wins that have gone on in Lubbock in the last 10 years. It has been a place good teams have maybe been challenged on occasion. You know, the one that jumps to mind is the, the TCU game way back with Trayvon Boykin, where they, they were a tip catch away from knocking off a top-rated TCU squad. But you just you did never get it. And that's why I want to say for those who have a problem with students rushing the field, it was a top 25 win. We have not had very many big wins at home. There are a lot of students who waited a long time to have something to cheer about at home. I mean, Iowa State last year, in the last 10 years, was maybe the biggest home win. That That's kind of where we were. And so to get a top 25 win, yeah, rush the field all you want. So that's my biggest thing. Coach McGuire, in his first real test as a head coach, demonstrated that there is something a bit different about his team, his program. There's a little bit more. They're willing to, they can battle, they can grind, they can turn the fortune of, you know, the, the typical tech stuff where you kind of, you tended to lose those games, tended to choke away that exact game under Matt Wells every time. So people may be butthurt about it, but it's true. Matt Wells would not have won that game. You would have lost. 
um, you would have lost outright. Once things got tough, his team would have collapsed. Um, they didn't believe in themselves. They didn't believe they could win. You know, they 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 just couldn't have closed that out. So a huge props to Coach McGuire for getting that done in year one. NC State, that's a tough challenge. You're on the road. It's going to be a pretty raucous environment, I'm assuming. I actually don't know that much about what goes on out in Raleigh. Um, I'm assuming it's a pretty... I've heard we had a guy DM the chat, uh, the Viva account, um, saying, talking about it, saying it's a really cool place to visit. If you ever get a chance, I'd, I wish I, I actually did look to see if I could have made it work. It just wasn't doable. Um, so hopefully for those of you who do get to make the trek, you have a blast. Report back what the fun places are there. I don't know much about NC State, their tailgate scene. So if there's some cool places you guys run into, feel free to let us know if you need to know um, kind of what goes on out there. But it's tough. It's tough to say with confidence after this game that you feel good enough about your offensive line to do it. I think Kitley's going to call a much better game. Let me say that. I don't, I, I, th- I had some problems with the offense according to this time around. I don't think I will this time, but I still think the letdown is going to be there for the offense. It's going to be on the offensive line. I think Kitley's going to call a good game. I just think you're not going to be able to execute to the level you need to with this offensive line. But your defense is as good as any as we've had in Lubbock. I'm not going to pick against Tech yet. I just can't do it. Not this early in the year. As we go on, if Tech lets me down a few times, I'll start picking against the Red Raiders. But I'm not going to do it to start. If you're going to get it done, though, it's going to be on the back of your defense. You got to get three turnovers. You know, take three is a big thing with this with Coach McGuire. It's a big part of his branding. You need it here. You need three turnovers. ECU kept North Carolina State off the board on the backs of two turnovers uh, in that second half. We need three. We need three or four, and we need a whole mess of sacks. And I think you got a chance here. So, like I said, my 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 head's telling me don't pick Tech. The offensive line can't do it. Kitley's going to call a better game, but you're just not going to be able to, to protect Donovan Smith. He's going to be under a lot of duress, and you're up against a really good uh, quarterback in NC State who's going to take advantage of your defense on times. But my heart's not going to do it. I'm just going to hope that you know you kind of become sack nation out there and really start racking up the pressures. I think if you do that, you have a shot. I'll take Tech. So, well, well, let me say Tech wins by three. I, I don't know what that score would look like, but I'm assuming low scoring. So let's just say for the sake of saying something, 31-28 Red Raiders. Um, that, that's, that's what I'm going to stick with. I'll probably come back a bit disappointed later, but until they let me down, I'm not going to pick against them. Um, that's our show for the night. We're going to close out here. Thanks again to Jack for being here with me. We're hoping to have Reed on for one of these. Um, his his schedule continues to, to unfortunately keep him away from us. Kendall was actually sick over the weekend, um, partly because of Iowa's offense, also just partly because. Uh, yeah, Kendall, get well soon. Uh, Spencer Petrus is still going to be your quarterback. That sucks. Sorry, guy. Yeah, I, I, I think we all, I mean, you, you ever, I worked in an office, um, you know, they pass around like the get well soon card. Um, we're going to have to sign one. And it's just going to say, sorry that your quarterback has a three QBR. Um, it's, it's, that's, that's tough sledding for him, but he, he did lose his voice. Um, I'm assuming most of those saying cuss words and, you know, he'll be back soon, but hopefully we can get Reed on with us. It was just Jack and I tonight. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Feel free to let us know how you felt about the show. We're 50 episodes in. We're always happy to do better. So let us know and like, scribes, follow whatever you do and whatever podcast platform you listen to. We're on all the major ones. Also, feel free to just click on the link in the website to listen. Um, you can also find us on Twitter at the Homer's Hub account. If you ever can't find the episode for some reason, we'll be happy to send it to you. And you can DM us at the Viva account as well if you want to reach us um, that way or through that hub account follow you know 
follow along. They have we have our new we're, our new system this year is two live game feeds. Um, some of you guys are clearly fed up with mine, so you feel free to switch over to the Hub City Homer account to listen to Jack and Kendall kind of talk. They have a different different way of live tweeting. It's just as good, and it's a great way to to kind of really develop our content and stick around post game for the spaces. There are a lot of folks in that spaces. Um, one thing guys, feel free to try to talk. I, I wasn't on it long, but Jack reported in later that there, you know, a lot of folks were kind of shy about requesting permission to speak. Yeah. You may say something stupid because I tweet 120 times a game and clearly I'm going to say something stupid at least once in the 30 seconds that you talk on the spaces, you're probably not going to say anything that dumb. We're not going to be mean to you. Um, Kendall's been drunk as hell on that anyway, so you can't do any worse than that. So really have a good time and feel free to, to request permission to talk when, when we're on it, but stick around, have a good time with us. Um, like I said, we're going to close here. Reckham, enjoy the game on Saturday. That game time has been announced as 6 p.m. Um, you know, so the 7 p.m. kick on the East Coast. It'll be on ESPN2 or the ESPN app. Hopefully the coverage is a lot more like this last game and not like the ESPN Plus debacle. Honestly, I'd like to get RG3 out there. I think that'd be fun, but I don't know if we'll be so lucky. Um, have a good one, guys, and Reckham.